Well, it's been quite a week in our country. Over the past few days, I have uh, had a number of people ask me my thoughts on the uh, Supreme Court uh, hearings. And so I want to begin this morning by just making a few observations. And in no way, in no way are these intended to be controversial. First of all, our country continues to be polarized in many ways. And this is not new, but just when you think it's, it can't get to a higher level, it seems to get to uh, another level. Um, it continues to be my fervent belief that Christians can demonstrate a better way of living in the culture, a way that is grounded in love <clears throat> and respect <clears throat> and compassion and understanding. And next weekend, I have a friend that's going to be here. He's a former uh, New Testament professor at Yale, but he's given the rest of his career to helping Christians and to helping churches uh, find a better way to live in a culture that seems so polarized. His name is Alan Hilton. He's going to speak Saturday at 9 o'clock. All of you are invited, and then he'll be here next Sunday, and I'm looking forward to having Alan here because I think that Christians can help uh, set the tone for the rest of the culture. Secondly, if there's anything that we have learned over the past few years from the Me Too movement, it's that all people, women and men, deserve to be treated with dignity and respect. And one of the problems that I've found with extreme polarization is the dehumanization that takes place in our culture. And in politics, when we have a win-at-all-cost attitude, I think that that leads to dehumanization of both sides. Third thing I'll say, the truth is very important. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What kept occurring to me on Thursday when I was watching uh, parts of the hearings is I was thinking to myself, somebody here is, is lying under oath. And finding the truth is important. And it's not an easy job in life when you have two people who don't agree on the truth. And lastly, I'll say this. Whatever our politics might be, whether you are a Republican or a Democrat, conservative or liberal, we have a big tent church here. However we might view this situation, I think it's true and I think we can all agree that every single person deals with difficult things in their life. And we need to keep that in mind as we go throughout our day. Everybody has baggage. Everybody has issues. Everybody needs encouragement. John Maxwell is famous for saying, how do you know if somebody needs encouragement? If they have a pulse, they need encouragement. <clears throat> now today, we're finishing up this September series on the Sermon on the Mount. This is the, the last of, uh, of four weeks. And today, we've, we've moved ahead into chapter 7. And remember, I told you last week, we cannot cover everything that's in these three chapters because there is so much uh, but today we move into chapter 7 where Jesus is talking about judgment. And I think he asks what is perhaps one of the most profound questions in all of history. He says this. He says, why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye but fail to recognize the log in your own eye? First, take the log out of your own eye and then you can see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. I've been going to church my entire life. 
My father's a minister, grandfather is a minister, great-grandfather was a minister. Church has never been a, 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 an option for me. I was never given a, a choice about it. And sometimes I'm thankful for that, other times I wonder. But this summer when I had a little bit of time off, there were some Sundays when I wasn't in church. And first of all, I needed to go figure out what's the big deal about being on the golf course on Sunday or what's the big deal about being at the lake because apparently it's, uh, it's exciting, I've, I've been told. But it was strange to not be uh, here on Sunday mornings. It felt weird. Um, in all of my years of going to church, especially as I've grown older, I've come to realize that churches are far from perfect because they're made up of people that are far from perfect. And over the years, I've watched people come and go from the church. I've watched people, you know, get mad for various reasons. I've watched people decide that they're spiritual but not religious. Um, and, and, and so it's just interesting to, to see that. But I've concluded that the one thing that, that does seem to hurt the church and to hurt Christianity, perhaps more than anything else, is judgment. Christians judging other Christians or non-Christians based on things that they have done or things that they have heard. Judgment, I think, could be called the Achilles heel of Christianity. And I've always had a hard time reconciling this with the concept of grace because we believe in a God who loves us unconditionally and who accepts us no matter who we are or what we have done, no matter what our past might be, no matter what mistakes we have made. And I believe that God calls us to love each other that same way, which includes forgiveness and letting go of the past and giving people fresh starts and new chances, all of which can be hard for us to do as human beings. The other thing that happens when you're a minister is you do a lot of counseling. And you get to be with people and try to help them through some very difficult times of, of life. There was a guy named Donald Caps that Donovan and I both had at Princeton Seminary. He was a mentor of mine. I took a lot of classes from him uh, on counseling and pastoral care and, and people in pain. But what you learn when you do counseling is that everybody has baggage. Everybody in life is dealing with stuff. And many people have been dealing with the same stuff for a very long time. I mean, think about this. When, when two people get married, they bring all their stuff into the marriage. Their past history, their hurts, their dis family dysfunction, if they have it, their trauma, their pain, whatever it is, they bring it into the marriage. And part of being married is learning to deal with each other's issues. And most of those issues predate the marriage, but they affect it. I saw an interesting video this past week by uh, Andy Stanley where he took two mugs. I didn't bring props up here this morning, but he took a, a mug that was a pink mug. It was full of pink marbles and a, and a blue mug that was full of blue marbles. And he talked about a husband and a wife and how they meet and how they court each other and how everything is going great and they fall in love and they get married. And then all of a sudden, at some point in the marriage, he clashed the two mugs together and some of the marbles fall out. And he says... The stuff comes out. The conflict that happens in our marriages or in our relationships, it, it brings up the stuff from our pasts. And then they, things are better again, and then they have another clash. More marbles fall out. Stuff comes out. What is that stuff? Well, it's different for everybody. It's different for every person, for every couple, for every family. But the reality is we all have it. 
and we all have to deal with it. John Gottman says there are four things you've got to avoid in your marriage and in your relationships. And I like this. He says avoid criticism, avoid defensiveness, avoid resentment, and avoid stonewalling. Because he says that's a sign that you've, you've, got, you've got problems. You need to not go down those roads because it leads to bad things. Harboring resentment over the years is not healthy for anybody. Judgment has done a lot of damage to Christianity. When polls are taken among non-Christians about what they think of when they hear the word Christian, and sometimes when you ask people who are Christians what they think of, they will say that Christians are very judgmental because they look at other people and they quickly judge their lifestyle. Many would say that Christians feel that they are better than others because of their faith. Or, as I've discovered in towns like Nashville, some Christians think they're better than others because of where they go to church or what denomination they're a part of. Judgment has done a heck of a job keeping people away from the church and away from Christ. But isn't it ironic that one of Christ's most consistent teachings during his life and ministry was do not judge so that you may not be judged? Whenever we meet somebody new, I think it's our natural tendency to size them up. In fact, I would even argue that our brains are conditioned to do this. It's part of our survival mechanism in life. And usually when we meet somebody, we can tell pretty quickly if it's somebody that we think we will like or if it's somebody that we think uh, we may not get along with very well. I do it, you do it. It's part of being human. If you look up the word judgment in the dictionary, you'll find two different definitions. One is the process of forming an opinion or an evaluation by discerning and comparing. We respect people who are good judges of character. We want our kids to make good decisions and to have good judgment. It'll serve them well in life. Another definition is the final judging of humankind by God. And I think it's this second definition that Jesus reminds us should only be reserved for God and not for us. Eternal judgment by human beings is unnecessary and it does a lot of damage. So people who grew up in very judgmental, rigid, uh, more fundamentalist types of faith can become so damaged that they never recover from it. They often leave the church and they never come back. And many of them will turn away from God and away from uh, any type of religion. And in my opinion, this is very sad and unfortunate, but it happens. Because the church, which should be there for people to help them heal, to help them recover, to help them get back on their feet after life beats them up, sometimes it feels like the church is kicking them with, when they're down because of judgment. Here's the main point that I'm trying to make today. So many times in life, our judgments of other people, our decision to blame, our decisions to point fingers and to get angry often result from an unwillingness that we have to deal with our own issues in life, to do the inner soul work that all of us are called to do. That's what spiritual growth is. It's looking into your own heart. It's looking into the mirror and it's asking, what are the things that I need to deal with in life to make me a better person? And how can I stop projecting all my issues onto other people? Last Sunday, I, I talked about the importance of knowing yourself, knowing your tendencies, um, being aware of, of the things that you wrestle with. And we're doing this class right now on Wednesday nights called 
the Enneagram, uh, the Enneagram from a Christian perspective. Come and join us. Fascinating material with uh, Hunter, Hunter Mobley. But, but every single number on the Enneagram, and there are nine numbers, every single number has a, has a sin, a cardinal sin that they wrestle with. So for the ones, the perfectionists, they wrestle with anger. And that anger can manifest itself in resentment. Uh, ones resent that they're always uh, playing by the rules and other people aren't. For twos, the helpers, their sin is pride. Uh, they're so busy helping other people that sometimes they say, hey, what about me? Do my needs not matter? For threes, the achievers, the sin is deceit. Deceiving themselves into thinking that they are what they accomplish. For fours, the romantics, the sin is envy. Fours believe that they're missing something and they're envious of the happiness of others. For fives, the investigators, the sin is avarice. Fives will hoard things they think will ensure their independence and ultimately they can hold back love and affection from other people. For the sixes, the loyalists, their sin is fear because they're always thinking about worst case scenarios, what might go wrong. If something could go wrong, a six has already thought about it, played it out in their minds. For sevens, the enthusiasts, it's gluttony. They gorge on positive experiences and new ideas so they don't have to deal with their pain and what's going on deep inside. For eights, the challengers, it's lust, lust for power, intensity, and control. And for nines, the peacemakers, the sin is sloth or spiritual laziness, often because they are so afraid of conflict they will do anything in their power to avoid it. All that this shows is that every person has something or some things that they're dealing with on a regular basis. And, and sometimes instead of judging other people, instead of blaming other people, instead of saying, here's what's wrong with you, maybe we should take more time to look in the mirror and say, here's what I need to work on. Here's where I fall short. Here's where I don't have it all together. So what does it look like to take the log out of our own eye? I'm going to leave you with three thoughts. And the first one is this. We must recognize the reality that we are all broken to some extent. This is what it means to be human. This is what we mean by the word sin. I've always tried to say, if you want to define sin, just think of it as brokenness. Paul writes these words to the Romans. He says, I don't understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want but I do the very thing that I hate. In other words, all of us have the ability to do things and act in a way that we're not proud of, and we simply cannot be afraid to just name our shortcomings, to name the things that we wrestle with. Um, go, if you're married, go to your spouse and say, what do I need to work on? And if you open up that door, they'll tell you, I promise you. <laughs> if you're not married, go to a close friend that you trust and say, what do you think I need to work on? How can I become a a better person? How can I grow in my, my spiritual life? We naturally tend to blame our problems on others so that we don't have to deal with the true source of so many of our problems. I used to watch my friend Will Kime speak, and he, he was here. He passed away a few years ago from cancer. But he would say, every time you point your finger at somebody else, and I blame Kempton, I've got three fingers pointing right back to the source of most of my problems. And it's true. We have to do some soul searching and ask, what can I do to be a better person, to be a better Christian, be a better husband, be a better father, be a better mother or wife? It's easy to always find problems with other people, but it's much more difficult 
to acknowledge our own brokenness and to try to work on that in our own lives. Secondly, we must recognize the dangers of judgment and how judgment is often simply a hidden attempt for us to not do our own work. Jesus says, with the judgment you make, you will be judged, and the measure you give will be the measure you get. Things in life have a way of coming full circle. Some call it karma. I just call it the way that the world works. We shouldn't judge others because we never know all the facts about another person's life. We never know what they might be dealing with or what they might be going through or what they might be wrestling with. Every week during our staff meeting, we, we, we take the prayer cards that you put in the offering plate and we, and when the, we, take the, we lift up the concerns. And it's always humbling, very humbling, just to see what people in this church from all three services are dealing with at any given time. Depression, cancer, the addiction of a child, a marriage that's broken. I mean, you name it, we pray for it every week. And those are just the people that actually fill out the cards. There's plenty more that don't get written down, I have no doubt. The fact is, if we realized how difficult and challenging life can be for some people, we'd probably be less likely to judge and more likely to help. If we understood how broken and discouraged some people are, we would be more likely to cut them some slack and less likely to rake them over the coals. And I'm convinced that every person has good inside of them. It's just that life has a way of weighing people down and covering that good up. And that's why we all need the grace and the love and the hope that God offers through Jesus Christ. It's unconditional. It's unmerited. It's unearned. And when we think that we have it so bad, sometimes just by looking around and seeing what others are struggling with, it'll put our problems into perspective. It doesn't mean that our problems don't matter. It just means that everybody's dealing with something. It'll also remind us that we don't struggle alone. Lastly, in the Sermon on the Mount, I think Jesus gives us one of the best rules for living that we could ever hope to hear. It's a timeless ethic for life. It could be our personal mission statement. Somebody said, what's your mission statement in life? This would be a great answer if you haven't thought of anything else. In verse 12, what does he say? In everything, in everything, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. For this is the law and the prophets. Forgive if you want to be forgiven. Help if you want to be helped. Be merciful if you want to receive mercy. Listen if you want to be heard. Understand if you want to be understood. Love if you want to be loved. Put others first if you want them to put you first. Pray for others if you want them to pray for you. Be a friend if you expect to have any friends in life. I really believe that if people in our world could more intentionally try to live by the golden rule, so many of the problems that we have would go away And life would be a healthier place, a happier place, a more peaceful place, a place that every single one of us desires. Amen.